Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back. After the longest break we would have ever possibly intended, your producer guy screwed up the recording on the last session, so we missed the pre-Nashville show, but we got a whole lot to talk about tonight after the first visit for the NTT IndyCar Series to Music City, and I am joined tonight, my name's Chris Graham, by the way, with the National Racing Network, joined by Ben Carswell, our NRN IndyCar writer extraordinaire. Christian Jasper, James Watson, what's going on, boys? Uh, what are we thinking here? Let's start, as we always should be here. Uh, ben, what are you drinking this evening? Um, I am drinking a Bitsburger Pilsner from Germany. Nothing punny coming to the top of my head. Christian, what do you have? Dr. Pepper and disappointment, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. We'll get into that later. <laughs> yes. Christian was one of our people out at the race this weekend, a Nashville native, and I'm interested to get your take on a couple of fronts here. James Watson, what do you have in front of you? Uh, Red Bull Blueberry and this and uh, shame. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Good. You, you are consuming the tears of everybody whose weekend your guy ruined in Nashville. But again, we'll, yeah, we'll talk about that one in a moment here. Um, since Mike McCullen is not here, I'm, I'm kind of taking his route. I have a nice glass of Roddy White wine, Cuyahoga grape wine from Blue Mountain Vineyards here in eastern Pennsylvania. Um, cause there's a whole right, lot of, whole lot of bitch and moaning about to be going on here, boys. Um, we'll start with James and I will ask the question, sum up the Nashville GP in one word. Uh, that is perfectly acceptable for you, Christian. <laughs> in one word, <laughs> just one. Just one. Keep it family friendly. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> what what exactly is the rating we're going for? Um well let's say the whole weekend, the whole event, the whole thing for the Music City Grand Prix. The okay, so the whole weekend. All right. Uh, that that sounds pretty fair. That, that sounds like a lot of what we're hearing on social media and it was it was an all right weekend it was not world changing by any stretch uh ben what would your one word be um a letdown just let down i'm hearing some of that too um i, I'm, I have two words as well Okay, but I can't. I can't put it into one word. <laughs> okay, go ahead. We'll we'll let you cheat since you're the wordsmith anyway. Thank you, thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, missed opportunity. I think that may be the storyline that ends up coming out of this Nashville weekend because it was as hyped as any race I have seen outside of the Indy 500 as hyped as any race that IndyCar has done probably since Vegas in 2011. <laughs> and it, for whatever reason, they cannot live up to the hype. There's, I mean, they, they had a jam-packed weekend. And, and Christian, maybe you can speak to this a little bit, but a city that's known for, like, people playing music half drunk in a taco bell at nine in the morning they <laughs> they threw a hell of a party and it went for three days straight they did they did it they really did like okay so for me the weekend as a whole i you know it was pretty solid i i feel like it was pretty solid indycar dropped the ball IndyCar dropped the ball because they had Stadium Super Trucks, our beloved Jumpy Trucks. They had Ooh. GT America, and they had 
Trans Am. Every single one of their races on Saturday and on Sunday were fantastic. Practice for IndyCar, awesome. Quali for IndyCar, amazing. The race for IndyCar, boo-boo. <laughs> it, was, it was straight boo-boo. And it's, it's upsetting because I feel like you guys could maybe see this too, but it's like the track, it's, it, I mean, it's different. It's it, and it's really got potential, and we really saw that when they really started to settle in. Granted, it was it was only for like twenty five laps, and it was in like the last twenty five laps of the race. We could really see what these guys could do in race trim on this track. Colton Herta, especially, he was driving this track like he knew the legacy of I four forty over here, bro. <laughs> Oh God! It was like he knew where every single pothole had been in the last twenty years. Uh yes, Colton Herta was I, I, impressive. I don't think is doing it justice because watching qualifications, you knew when he got the extra set of tires. Well, okay, he didn't get an extra set; he earned himself an extra set of of sticker reds to go out on that last run. Yeah, he did. That was <laughs> the entire time I'm watching that qualification session going, oh, my God, what is this kid going to do with this? Because at that Man. point, the cars warmed up. The tires are ready to go like this is as big of a run as he's going to be able to have. And he goes one point two seconds up on the field with his last lap. And it was like, holy hell, this race on Sunday. It could be over already if he's going to put in a drive like that. See, for Quali, when for the fast six on Quali, when Herta went out, I my seats were at turn nine. Like I, I was in the stands on Saturday, I was at turn nine. His car coming around nine looked the most hooked up I have ever seen any car the entire weekend coming around that corner. He was tight, but it's it stayed exactly where it needed to be he had that shit planted no oversteer it looked like in, it looked like an alonzo monaco lap he was that on it and that was when he said what was it like 113.6 yeah i man Every, all just, the broadcasters the are talking he about did a he did a 115 and and the announcers are losing their minds going 115 is flying around this place. And, and I mean, really, it is. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, I, God, I, I want to know what his top speed was coming off a coming off a bridge into that braking zone because it had to, like he had to be touching Road America speeds, bro. He had to be going at least 190. Uh yes, they were approaching 190 in qualifying trim oh, making man. their way down the bridge there and it was the visuals were spectacular i, oh, I it almost I love, feels I like the the music city grand prix organizers got it right nbc got it right i mean all the way around they absolutely nailed this thing and we just missed it from <laughs> and then the indycar will power happened <laughs> all right james you will give you a chance here defend your guy uh <laughs> hey, look. Hey, look. <laughs> squirrel uh, uh hey look over there a poorly placed restart zone <laughs> okay I will give you that because that can, that really confused me because I was there again. I was there on Saturday. I had I had GA for Sunday, but Saturday, all of the races that they had, they did their restarts on on bridge. So them doing that at the stadium made no sense to me. I still don't fully understand the finish line timing line thing. I don't know why they did that. I know it's for pit lane and that that they want to have that sort of you can pull in but why are they restarting yeah i i'm i'm sorry but believe me in 10 years of 
watching this man, I know that he's good for at least three races a year where he completely loses his head and does the most <laughs> dumbest stuff imaginable. And unfortunately, he just catches them all in. <laughs> yeah, yesterday was definitely one of those times. But that disaster was not all on him. He he was further. Yeah, he had a big thing to do with it. He was chaos. He was ridiculous, but he was basically bringing light to a lot of other issues with that weekend that need to be brought up as well. Like, he was far from the only issue. Yeah, he made some really boneheaded and late maneuvers. And, but like, where else were you going to make those maneuvers? The thing is, and that people that aren't really talking about is someone else would have been stupid. Someone else would have been the idiot. Someone else would have tried those moves. Uh, Marcus Erickson we'll was pretty stupid. Yeah, he yeah. Was. Can we Marcus call Erickson this out? Dumb as hell. <laughs> yeah, but no one's talking about that because he ended up winning the, the damn race. And I guarantee you that people would probably not be shitting on Will nearly as much if he somehow managed to win that race. Oh no, Will Power did take out two of his teammates, though. <laughs> Uh, yeah. yeah, he's. Yeah. I I think Will so, is a is a different discussion at this point from Marcus Erickson's stupidity. Uh, what do you guys make of? Uh, and Ben will kind of lead with you on this one, I guess. What do you make of the discussion that Bourdais brought up about why do we restart like this? Because after he made the comment of. The pace car starts to pull away. The leader starts to pull away, leaves a gap, and then starts to go. And everybody feels the need to just do these insane pack-ups where you know full well you're going to accordion the field. Is this just a matter of IndyCar needs to police the restarts better and say, hey, keep it in line? Or what's is this an officiating problem? Is it a driving problem? Is it both? Um, I think it's just germane to the series. I think it's it. You look at other series where they really don't have as much restart ridiculousness. Like F one packs everything up, and then everyone goes like crazy. And it's only really gone wrong at Magella last year. That's because everyone is usually where they're supposed to be in terms of performance, because the cars are so different. And in NASCAR, there's just more room, but the thing with Indy does that, mandate the gap. Right. They, they do mandate the gap to the safety car. I, I, though, it was weird the whole race, though. Like, I don't know what the pace car was doing. I don't know what anybody was doing with the caution periods, with restarts, because Herta managed to come out in third or fourth after he pitted. Yeah, that was was okay. That one, yes, that one was a bit interesting because the the pit road layout and this goes back to track design. And I I think I might end up kind of doing some bashing on Tony Cotman here, but the layout of the track was not real good. You had. It, it, it's almost like they took the bridge and said, we've got a bridge. Let's play with it. What can we do to build a racetrack around this bridge? Instead of looking at it from the perspective of what's going to be conducive to good racing, we need three to four passing zones per lap. How, where in this city can we build that type of race course? And instead, they just went for the landmark. They went for the visuals and the great camera shots that en- that they knew NBC could pull off. They got exactly what they wanted. They got a racetrack that looked spectacular on television. And I my gut tells me this could be a one and done. Because the racing was that bad. I think they did the thing that people do... A lot of the on like you'll see this kind of stuff happen like what if this happened wouldn't that be so cool and it's not realistic for a number of reasons but they did it here it didn't take a second to go hey this track is like a lane and a half wide through sections 
and we're going to make a little loop here, a little triangle around what looked like an abandoned lot. I think it is an abandoned lot. Christian probably knows what it is. Yeah. yeah. It, wh what is that? Why are we making a tiny little triangle? What is that? There's I do no not understand that. why they kept that localized to First Avenue. I really don't. Um, I think Copeland went in there and he went, wow, what if it went over the bridge? And what if you could see the skyline? And what if it looked like a music note? Wouldn't that be awesome? And it nobody looked like a music said, note. That, that this track looked like a ladle, bro. <laughs> <laughs> it do. It looked like a ladle. It, it, if it's a music note, it's a backwards music note. That tail going the wrong way. I just went in there and did a bunch of stuff, and then no one took a second to go, "Hey, this is really." I I get that we want to make like American Baku, which is like the thing that we kept hearing. Like, oh, it's like Baku, it's like Baku, yeah. But like, one like, there's like one complex that's Castle is one complex in Baku. It's one complex that's really like tiny. Everything else is wide open. And, well, and, well done, and Baku. Baku has sort of become iconic for that, though. That it is crazy high speed, and then you have that one little section where the visuals are just stunning. Mm -hmm. Baku is it's about the racing. And oh, by the way, we can squeeze in a couple of badass shots too. Instead of thinking about it from from that TV first perspective, I mean, I get it. Well, a lot of these street circuits, you look at even Long Beach. It's basically waterfront. It, it's yep. there's not a lot of urbanity around the Long Beach street circuit, Lakeshore Drive, and the hairpin. That's really about it. And the fountain. And then you turn around and you look at Nashville and they went, how can we get this as close to lower Broadway as possible? We don't want this to be up near, I mean, even, hell, even near Vanderbilt's campus probably would have been okay. No, it would not have. Um, I can tell you that from experience. Uh, Vanderbilt is very tight. Well, no, but I'm saying in terms of in terms of distance to that lower Broadway scene. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. Vanderbilt's a little bit further out, but a lot of these places, I mean, they literally tried to squeeze a racetrack into the middle of Nashville. And it, when you you go back and you think about some of the tracks that we had, Baltimore, they ran around the Inner Harbor, which was pretty insane. That was kind of right in the middle of it, but. If you've ever been to Baltimore, it's not really a, it's a touristy spot. It's not the middle of where people are living and whatnot. That one worked because it was already laid out for it in some respects. It's already fairly wide and open. Outside of the areas around the bridge, it seems like there's not much down there that was very wide. It has the field of a city in the Old South. Because that's exactly what it is. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're not, you're not wrong. You're not wrong at all. Um, I do. I, I kind of like that aspect of it, but I don't like how narrow the majority of the track was. Um, it, it was. It, it's. It's weird. It's weird because I feel like. It's it, the track itself has that potential. And I base that off of the other races that were there for the uh, the sports cars, especially. Um, it was it was difficult, it, like they seem to be like it would you know it's it's a difficult track but it's still fun it's sketchy it's you know it's it's like an IndyCar city course like Detroit there's bumps you got to respect them but it's also fast i does part of the issue stem from the fact that you can't put marshals on the racetrack to get a car turned back around again i think so um I also I I do feel like that the restart area contributed to 
a majority of the issues from the boneheaded shit that happened. Um, yeah, because I again that that restart area just made no sense to me. I well, it, it made no part, sense to me because because they they did it on um, I mean they did just fine on Saturday. Yeah, part of the issue is you want. Excuse me. You want your start finish line, or you want your finish line. Twin checkers to be in front of as big of a crowd as possible. So it kind of had to go where it was because there were not big grandstands on what I'll call the city side. I don't know if that's north, south, east, west, whatever. The city side of the racetrack, where you kind of just went around that little lot. You didn't have a ton in the way of viewing. Your main, everything was centered around the stadium. So that's where your finish line needs to be. And I would imagine for scoring purposes, having a start line on the bridge and a finish line separate could potentially cause some issues. Because it's basically like your start line is what part of the lap are you completing? If that makes any sense. How do they do it for mid-Ohio? Basically, the lap starts when they do the initial start of the race on the backstretch. The lap has started when they cross the start-finish line. Mm -hmm. So in the case of Nashville, that would have meant taking the green with the pace car, a theoretical green race is running with the pace car still on the racetrack. And then you've got to back everybody up all the way through the whole race course to come back down on the downside of the bridge then. It's, I understand where they, where the issues come from. I, I say figure it out. Yeah. Yeah, because that, that seems kind of weird. Because it's like they... it, it that, that seems like it would be something that's just like, okay, well, that's where it's at. Deal with it. You know, it, the, the, the issue would come in is that... I, I feel like the issue would come in um, for them being so far separated as opposed to mid-Ohio. Um, <clears throat> because, because the finish line is just two yeah two corners not as opposed to literally three-fourths of the way down the track yeah i like i said i don't necessarily know what the answer is other than i've seen some other layouts that were posted online Mm -hmm. um and they're more fan driven you know fan concept designs that doesn't take into account things like uh, construction issues, getting the venue built at night. It, there's a variety of things that you have to take into consideration when building a street course. So I tend to think Tony Cotman may have done as best as he could with what they wanted. I would imagine the Music City Grand Prix people said, we want the bridge. Yeah. That's going to be our shtick. We want the bridge. Figure it out. Yeah. Because, I mean, because a little bit of hometown pride on this one, because the bridge is iconic. But the shots of literally two sides of the track opposing each other, literally flying down over the Cumberland. It's, it's, it's a shot. Oh, it yeah. It is a shot. <clears throat> it that is but, one of the best visuals in motorsports. The problem is you have to make the rest of the track work with it. Yeah, I just want to send Tony Copeman to uh, racetrack design subreddit. There's like three better designs. I, I mean, I'm looking at it, and it's just pit after pit out and after the finish line, which is turned four, five, and six. So this is the deal with why, why, why? It's that's the part that was one lane wide and it's makes no sense. 
I, I just feel like it, it's too it's too complicated. It's too overdone. It, it just needed to be a lot simpler. Because often the simplest racetracks make for the best racing. Mm-hmm. No, you have a shtick already. You have the bridge. You have the stadium in Nashville. There is your shtick. Now just make the track good. I feel like the 456 complex was to try and slow them down before they got onto the bridge. Because that right-hander would have been a high-speed right onto the bridge. It could also have um, caused issues if, say, someone had hit the barrier going onto the bridge. Because of the racing line coming off of bridge, it's, it's literally right there. Yeah, you're you're talking about the potential of shifting barriers yes. into oncoming traffic. Yes. Which I, that's about as worst case of scenario as you're going to get. And I will say yeah. this. I don't I think it was heading into actually maybe even both sides of the bridge. There was only like 60 yards of runoff, a couple of rows of tires and a piece of Armco separating a 180-mile-an-hour IndyCar from the streets of actual Nashville. Yep. An incident like Rosenquist had at Detroit would have launched an IndyCar. Screw the river. They would have pitched an IndyCar right into somebody's parallel parked car on the street. (laughs) Yes, sir. I... That was, I thought the bridge was a little sketchy at first. And then you look at the design in reality and you go, oh, yeah, okay, that works. That that one makes sense. Holy cow, was that completely sketchy from a stuck throttle, cars making contact off the downside of the bridge. That had actual scare the hell out of you potential. And it almost feels like the design was just rushed. And it wasn't. That's the part that I really don't. Un- it almost feels like Cotman got this assignment eight months ago and say they said, here, design the racetrack. This has been in the works for a very long time. So I, I don't know. Maybe it's a they learned their lesson. They're going to come back and do it differently next year. It leads the question, though, do we get a next year? I hope so. I I think it's worth at least one second chance. A little bit of changes, maybe put the restart zone in an actual sensible place. Mm-hmm. Because it, it it's not a terrible layout. And it, it it's... I feel like Nashville is such an underserved market that they have to try again. I think Thank it would you. I think it would be better than going to <laughs> going <laughs> going to Nashville Super Speedway. Although I wouldn't be against seeing NSS on the schedule either, but I feel like they need to give it one more shot. It it, it can be fun and when they weren't eating themselves into other cars in the wall, it was fun. Um, otherwise, I feel like they should, they'd be better served given Nashville Fairgrounds a try. <laughs> I think, I think there's one, before we get on to the actual race itself, I think there's one really unfortunate part of this, which is that they promote the hell out of this race during the NASCAR race for the very good reason that they want to get NASCAR people to go hey, just don't get up. Just sit here and watch this. This is good. Just watch this. Just keep sitting here. And (laughs) what happened is that after the first 20 laps, about half of those people probably said something to the lines of, oh, this is ridiculous. I I got stuff to do. And then they never got to see it actually get going and turn into what was a pretty good race by the end of it. And if it had only been flipped, now, because there's one thing to say, and I don't know, it was a mess, and then they did some race in the beginning. Or it's a lot better to have it be, oh, it was great, it kind of fell apart at the end there, but it was good while it was going, you know? It I, and, didn't happen and, like that. It also, they missed it. 
at the if the carnage happens at the end, that's guys you can justify it as drivers fighting tooth and nail for every little bit, blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. You know, we it was time to go, and they were going. You could feel the intensity ratchet up. Instead, it was it was almost like the frat bros just climbed in after the night on Lower Broadway and said, "Y'all, let's go racing." I mean, I I've seen street stock races that were cleaner than what we saw at Nashville. Oh, Rosenquist sure. <laughs> was dumb. Um, Cody Ware had his eleven point K turn issue. Less. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I mean, it was. I, oh, let's let's give a shout out, a deserved shout out. Did they talk about Jimmy Johnson at all? Yes. That at was least when he was at, out of the race, though. Like, yeah, when he was out. But at least early I think it on, was some stuff he did, though. Like, he wasn't. He wasn't the guy causing the issues. You're not wrong. Jimmy kind. Jimmy kind of got him. screwed. Quite frankly, he did. He did. It was sad. He wasn't too. He wasn't off the pace, really. I mean, he was pretty well. He he was off the pace, but he wasn't terribly off the pace. He was doing all right, and then Old Power decided he wanted to just <laughs> push Pagano into the wall. I mean, I don't really know what that was. He just sort of pushed him into the wall, and then, I mean, at that point, it was just the official list here from. The IndyCar race result is, for the caution, is cars 10, 12, 21, 22, 30, 45, 48, and 51 in turn 11. That is can the we, official wait, can, we, can we chuckle at this for just a second? I Maybe we'll have to post this up somewhere. The number of cars involved is so long, it actually stretches it to a second line, which doesn't exist. Oh, I had to. Man. I had to read. I had to figure out that was fifty-one. It's it's like cut off from the top half of the letters. Yes, it. That one was about as dumb as we could have possibly had. I mean, and and it was preceded by perhaps the dumbest that we've seen in quite a while. And scary from the perspective of what if that incident happens coming to a restart on the bridge when it's much higher speed rosenquist going full erickson off the back of sebastian bourdais the way around erickson went full rosenquist whatever it was (laughs) (laughs) he he Um, got i have no idea what happened that was Bourdais said everybody ahead of him was checking up because they were doing the accordion that IndyCar does on restarts and Erickson just didn't slow down or at least not fast enough Erickson didn't look like he didn't slow he just didn't slow at all I mean it looked like everybody was sitting there and he just ran over him and and I I, if you see that guy slowing down I mean, they have guys in their ears. I mean, somebody has to, he has to make the decision or somebody in his ear has to say, hey, they're checking up, they're checking up, they're checking up. You know, you got to make the I decision think, to well, pull out of line. I think part say, of the problem that. is that they don't have spotters and they don't have, they have the broadcast, but they don't have the same camera equipment that race control has. It's not like they get a view of, you know, each sector of each kind of fixed camera that race control has. Right. The guys on the wall are blind. The engineering staffs and everything else have absolutely no idea what's going on out on the racetrack outside of looking at the little bubble on the track map, which obviously is going to be a bit delayed. I would hate to see IndyCar have to require spotters at road courses because good luck. You need 13 of them to cover road America. How many, God knows how many you need to cover Nashville and Long Beach. You know, at that point, the only thing I could, I could maybe think of is having someone from race control in the driver's ear 
with that because, I mean, they've got to channel their drivers. They Well, they had that for a long time, and the drivers hated it. They had Brian Barnhart in their ear at all times. The, <laughs> the, audio, the audio of him as race director before the Indy 500 is, quite frankly, embarrassing. I, he would be on the radio. Row three, get in line. Row three, you're not in line. Row four, pack it up. I mean, like, the entire parade lap. God. And coming to restarts, initial starts and restarts, that's what he would do. And it was like, God damn, dude, like, shut up. They're pros. Let them let them be pros. I guess they're not pros. I, I, I really, I don't know. I honest to God don't know what the answer is there. Not not driving like that, they didn't look like it, which is a shame. It's it's really a shame. I think just just slight restart changes and Erickson not being a klutz, I think, is part of it. Yeah, it would. I mean, he has to slow up though. If the field's checking up. The field's checking up. He needs to react to that and not be an idiot. Mm-hmm. Not shoot ten feet up in the air. Now let's look at the next um, thing in line with that, because Sebastian Bourdais finished twenty seventh, completing five total laps. Marcus Erickson was able to benefit from the pit road being as kind of wonky as it was. And I have no idea how he did jack up that race car entirely, but Marcus Erickson was able to basically benefit because of how the pit strategies ended up playing out. He made five pit stops. Nobody else in the top 10 made more more than two. A five. One. I, I, should you be able to end a competitor's race and still be in contention for a win? Well, he got a penalty. He got two. He got, where, where do we go? Here we go. Emergency service in a closed pit on lap nine. Restart at the back of the field. Avoidable contact. Stop and go. He got penalties. It, it's just that the race was so weird, and the strategy just worked out like that. You know? And he just happened to have the perfect car to beat Kurt with. And he had that whatever Paul Tracy kept telling us he had in the race, the um, less wing or less, or less downforce, and he was able to get away from over the bridge. He was able to just stay just clear of Herta. Erickson did seem to have a better corner exit when uh, going onto the bridge. Herta was on his Herta was on his ass everywhere else, though. Well, I was going to say, big shout out to the Ganassi guys because was the key to that race at basically sacrificing the the sixty percent cornering because the bridge was going to be so important. Who knew? Um, a, who knew was, a straight line twice a lap could be that critical to winning a race? I think it was Paul. I think it was PT. I think it was either PT or Townsend, and they referred to one of the little squiggly bits as the infield section because mm-hmm. it kind of was like a roval because it was this little tiny squiggly bit where you went around for a little bit, and then this huge blast of speed like a roval. And Erickson set his car up for the oval part and won the race. Uh, yeah, that was it. And let's kind of get into uh, starting to wrap up some of what we're talking about here. Uh, Colton Harda absolutely gutted for the guy. He just made a little mistake. And, Pull one out for him. Oh, yes. Pull that one was. Out for him, man. That was pretty brutal. That was as bad as Will Power not getting the car fired back up at Detroit, quite frankly. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Scott Ew. Dixon was doing Scott Dixon things. And where the hell did James Hinchcliffe and Ryan Hunter Ray come from? <laughs> I mean, we've spent how many episodes absolutely crapping on Andretti? And... They pulled up because they heard we got pizza, bro. Oh man, I don't know. <laughs> that was there two, three, four, five at one point. That was yeah. Rossi did uh, typically had it ruined for him. Does okay. So with that, does this mean Andretti has taken that month to work on whatever their issues were? It looks like it. I it looks like it, and the fun part of that discussion for me becomes how insane does the rest of the season? We're we're back into you had a long break, you had the oddball that was Nashville, the the true wild card of the schedule. You're right back into bread and butter territory now for these teams. If Andretti got their stuff figured out, we could have eight to ten cars week in and week out with a realistic shot to win. And that's going to be awesome because as it is, IndyCar's parity is amazing compared to other top forms of motorsports. So if you can have half the grid legitimate contenders for the win on any given weekend that just makes indycar that much better and hopefully one of these days people will finally realize the rep that indycar should have well they they better put on a show this weekend at, at the brickyard because them boys need to redeem themselves in a pretty big way um, yeah it, looking at the point standings here is as we I can't believe we're already like 45 minutes into the show here, but um, <laughs> looking ahead to where things are here after the big machine spiked coolers Grand Prix at Nashville. Uh, <laughs> I'm not even getting into that one either. Alex Palou is your point leader, 410 points. Scott Dixon sitting second at 368. I have no idea how Pato didn't lose more ground this weekend. He's sitting third at 362. Uh, Newgarden back at 335. I think we're down to a three-horse race here coming to this championship. Of note, Erickson is only four points behind Newgarden, which is kind of crazy. Wow. <laughs> Four points behind. He's him. he's, he's one four of points back how with two wins. Winners? Two repeat winners think, this season. I think it's since the Indy 500, he's had the highest average finish because he's had two wins, a P2, and I think he's been solid in the other races too. Like I don't think he's, I couldn't tell you off the top of my head, but he's been really good. Here we go. I brought him up. He's had, oh wow. Oh, wow. He's only had three races outside of the top 10. That was the that was the two races at Texas and 11th at Indy. Everywhere else, it's so just going through is 8th, 7th, 19th, 12th, 10th, 11th, 1st, 9th, 6th, 2nd, and 1st. Consistently inconsistent, but inside the top 10. Yeah, that's good enough to get you a top five finishing points. And I would think a return seat at Canassi for at least a, another year or two. Because, mm-hmm. you know, Chip does like winners. And if you're going to get him two or three wins a season, I, I think that may be enough to keep you solidly in a Ganassi ride. Championships are fun and all, but Chip Chip likes winning week in and week out. Um, he's got three guys that can go get a win. He sure does. Yes, yes, three he does. Guys. Uh, I'm not other, sure Penske has three guys. I I honestly don't think so at this point. You have Power and Newgarden. Power's doing power stuff, and Newgarden is got the cartoon anvil now. Uh so. yes, New Newgarden is getting ready to claim that from RHR when. He decides to hang it up. Uh, Pagano is 
my understanding is he's in the last year of his deal. Yeah. He is there rumors about Kirkwood to Penske um, are like they're floating around and they're not like, oh, that'd be cool rumors. They're like, well, Penske's talked to Kirkwood and Pagano might be kind of getting unlike Helio where he gets shifted over to this Porsche Penske thing. Uh, that would not surprise me one bit. Because, because at this point, Pagano is not showing much of anything. Mm-mm. And mm. what is the conversation like in Mooresville this morning? <laughs> I mean, after all three of his NASCAR drivers spun. Pitsky had a bad day. <laughs> bad. <laughs> <laughs> he had a bad, bad day. And go figure, the, the one Penske driver that had a good good race this weekend is the one I hate. But uh, he didn't have even have a good race. Ray Hall like knocked his toe out <laughs> the first lap. Yep. And then I mean his hometown race and he finished tenth. Tenth. And yeah. That's New Garden. Probably out of the championship, unless he goes absolutely insane in the next. Yeah, five unless, races. unless he's balls to the wall, I don't think he's going to get a third. I this don't. Year. I don't think it matters because all of three of the Ganassi cars are very much on point right now. Yep, they are sharing information at a crazy high level. And you have the, I mean, the other three Penske cars are. They may have gotten lost driving from Nashville to Mooresville. That's how far deep in the woods they are. I mean, you think about everybody he's got to go through now to the end of the season. He's got to beat Polo and Dixon in an award in the standings. He's got to compete with guys like Grosjean at every road course. Rossi's apparently back. Erickson is <laughs> apparently a top IndyCar driver. Ray Hall's <laughs> going to try and crash him. I mean, you look up and down the list, and it's like he's got to deal with Herda, too. He's got to deal with Power, VK, who had a terrible race, but he's still one of the young stars. I mean, there's going to be no easy wins, no easy anything for a new card. And is not to this... mention... Below and Dixon are imitating each other and running strong, consistent races and just getting points. He's not going to have a chance to make up 80 points. Going back to our describe things in one word, is this turning into the IndyCar season of allegedly? <laughs> allegedly? <laughs> allegedly. It, allegedly, Marcus Erickson is a contender week in and week out. Allegedly, I mean, Alex Palou is going to is the next Scott Dixon. <laughs> like this uh, is I, what I a year. Have, <laughs> I I would have said okay, a changing of the guard is coming. A uh, okay, yeah, there's a lot of this, you know, changes afoot and whatever. This is straight allegedly. Like you got to show me more than one year. I have to see Palou doing this again next year in order for me to, to really get on a hype train. Marcus Erickson has to do this again next year because that's the hallmark of IndyCar is it's not a single season of, oh, my God, dominance. That doesn't get you into legendary status with us. Yeah, As the, like you, the you fans show it. You know, Elio, until he got his fourth win, he was never in the discussion of best all time at the 500. And the guy's record stands alone. His numbers are better than Foyt's at the Speedway. They're better than Andretti's. They're better than Parnelli's. They're better than everybody, even Rick Mears. Elio is... I mean, now, not miles ahead, but ahead in all of these categories. 
and we just kind of look at it as, oh, well, he's only got three. Our fandom is so psychotic that we expect that insane level. I mean, we're finally giving Scott Dixon some credit after seven championships. <laughs> so if Palou is going to keep doing this, if he wants to hit that status of, yeah, you're the real deal, he has to do this again. Erickson is going to have to show more next season. And if I'm Chip Ganassi, I'm going, holy hell, I've got three of these dudes under contract now. He's he's got a former F1 driver, a second former F1 driver, sitting at his DPI program, waiting for a spot to open up in Magnuson. Well, that could happen in 2022. I mean, it's the next couple of years look really good. You got what's his name from F2? He's running the Brickyard Saturday, Lundgaard. Yep, he's a talent, Christian Lundgaard. Man, there's so many guys coming in. (laughs) It's a good time to be Floyd Ganassi. I mean, it's just, I, I, there's no other way to say it. And at this point, if you're Roger Penske, you got to have a little bit of what's going on here. Mm-hmm. How did Penske go from world beating everything to potentially three holes that he has to fill? Because Scott McLaughlin is not showing the development that I think would have been expected. Yeah, honestly, Scott is kind of on Jimmy's level, minus all the spin. Like, Scott has not been anywhere. He has had three good results here, and that's it. Three, and by good results, I just mean three results inside the top ten. Uh, yeah, three non-embarrassments is not Penske perfect. Nope. I mean, that's, there is so much. A lot of stories to examine and start to decompress a little bit here, but we're already starting to run out of time. So, let's look ahead to this weekend's return to the Indianapolis Motor Speedway road course. Um, Pulling up our results from earlier this season. Renus VK getting the win in the GMR Grand Prix. Pretty impressive uh, run from Renus there. Roman Grosjean was sort of the story of the weekend. He That's where he really started to come into his own. And Alex Palou with a podium. Uh, surprised we haven't seen more out of Renus. We know he's nursing the broken collarbone a little bit still. Uh, Grosjean has continued to be impressive. The rest of the top five, Joseph Newgarden, Graham Rahal, six through 10, Simon Pagino, Alexander Rossi, Scott McLaughlin, Scott Dixon, and Marcus Erickson. A lot of names that we've talked about here tonight, both good and bad ways, all showing up in a pretty big way for the GMR Grand Prix back in May. Let's go and make some picks here. Uh, We will give, uh, well, we'll come to James Watson first because I'm fairly certain we know, well, at least one of his picks, we know. (laughs) Um, That boy has a hill, and he is going to die on it one way or the other. Yes, sir. (laughs) (laughs) So, James, who is your pick for Pineapple of the Weekend? Actually, you're a Will Power fan. You're going full anchovy, man. I'm, honestly, it, it's it's hard to say. I'm trying to remember who who sucked from last last time out, and I don't want to pick an easy one like Scott or Jimmy. Um, I I gotta I kind of have a feeling that Rossi may get Rossi again. I have a feeling. Uh, at this point, it, it, that may not be the worst pick. Rossi is 
he is sort of in no man's land here. Um, and I almost want to say it's a shame because the guy is incredibly talented. I mean, he he looked on form. Yes, on he Sunday. did. He looked, he looked very, very good until he got powered. Yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> let's go to Ben. Who is your pick for pineapple of the weekend? Oh, boy. Um. Uh, it's tough, but I think it's going to be Erickson. I think you're going to see him sort of not have any pace, and we're going to kind of go, oh, right, he's a mid-pack driver. A mid-pack driver with one of two guys with multiple wins this season, but that would be completely Lucky on wins. form. That would be completely on form for what Erickson's I done mean, this season. Finished 10th there in the last race, and I really don't I mean, what are we? This is Erickson. I mean, he, he won a while after Power dominated it and broke his car. Then he won now after he flew up in the air. The best guy in the field had to make eight pit stops and <laughs> he spent 40 laps under caution. The only thing I can think of that he's done on pace on merit is get the P2 in mid Ohio where he almost tracked down Newgarden. This is nothing like mid Ohio. It's a wide open circuit, grade one circuit. And he wasn't very good on those in F1 and he wasn't very good earlier this year. So, uh, well, it is, it is a well reasoned process there uh christian what what are you thinking here for pineapple of the week at, at indy this weekend oh don't give me pineapple i'm here to commit pizza crimes i like myself some pineapple so i'm gonna go for anchovy bro um i i think that the anchovy is gonna be cold He's going to be reeling from this this weekend. And I think that's still going to be weighing kind of heavy. Uh, you know what? I, it's not the worst pick. It was He's one of the names that I thought about because I'm not totally certain he's not injured after that hit. At no, that was, that was a hard hit. It was a very was hard hit. That, happened. that, that was... Uh... Yeah, it was it was nasty, and and he was definitely kind of going for his hand, and yep. It, and the race is on Saturday, so the reality is it's not even like you have the full week to recover. Mm-mm. You know, hit the hit the physical therapist a little, get it stretched out, even if it's just you know a, a muscle or something. You're still talking about having to do these cars with no power steering around a very difficult Indianapolis road course. Um, I think Colton Hurt is probably not the worst pick there. I'm looking through the list here, and my gut is leaning me one way, and I'm getting too far down the list to see anybody else that I really think is kind of worth picking on. But I'm going to go with Roman Grosjean for Pineapple of the Week. Um, He's been very quick, but very hit or miss. Now, he's going back to a track in an Indy car for the first time, so he may mm-hmm. make me look spectacularly dumb. <laughs> but I, it just something tells me that there's, there is some uncertainty surrounding him, both contract situation, what Dale Coyne's doing with his entire program. Uh, like it's just something tells me that Grosjean may be uh, – the guy who's going to be on the way out here. Unfortunately, James Watson had to leave early, so he's going to get his Will Power pick because, well, quite frankly, he's a Will Power fan. We then, know what he's about. Yeah, we. you know what? I will say this. He picked the hill to die on, but damn, is he doing a good job of staying on that hill. So <laughs> <laughs> he, he's still kicking up there, waving all alone this week. He is the only Will Power fan still waving up from the top of that hill. Uh, ben, 
who's your pick to win this week at the Brickyard? Um, it's a it's your anchovy. It's Roman Grosjean. Um, the Roman Grosjean experience is it's it's a lot. You know, he's French. That's a thing right there. You know, you got to go with it. You got to just he's gonna mess up. He's gonna mess up a lot. Him, he hits the wall in Baku under the safety car. And he he hits everybody at Spa on the. Start. I think Erickson hit us. Yeah, I think Erickson hit us. <laughs> <laughs> I thought of that this weekend. I was like, oh, Ooh, I sure did. <laughs> oh, it's just I sure did. Rojan is an experience, but the his contract situation is is unsolved, uncertified. But it looks like it's him to Andretti full time, and. I have not seen Roman Grosjean happy before, before this year. This is the happiest I've ever seen him. This is the most excited, most relaxed I've ever seen him. For the last five years, he has been doing horrible, horrible, and a cheapskate team with an abusive team boss. And now he's going back to a track for the first time that he won a pole on and that he that he got second on, I think, after getting confused about he did. He, what he blue flag was, rules were. He was a superstar at that race. I ain't even gonna lie. But this is a He did a really well last uh, yesterday too. So he did do really well. This is a return to comfort him because it's a grade one circuit. And the last time he was in like a spec series was GP two. And he won a championship mm-hmm. in eight races. So I would I would bet on Grosjean. I will bet on Grosjean, actually. I'll put money on him. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, actually, we'll have to get that one out uh, at some point this week. The gambling odds and who may be a smart pick here. Uh, that one's been a, a lot of fun to keep an eye on. Christian, what, what are you thinking here? Who's our winner this weekend at Indianapolis? I think it... I want it to be Grosjean, but I think it's going to be Polo. I think Polo is really going to keep up his form. And I think he's going to get a win. I, th- I think he's going to be the, th- I think he's going to be the three-peat. Three-peat winner for this season. It, we had, I, I misspoke earlier in the show. We actually have three repeat winners this season. Alex Polo has two for Spain. Marcus Erickson has two for Sweden. Pato Award has two for Mexico. I'm going to say that we are going to add another two-time winner to the list this season. Uh, it will not be an American, Joseph Newgarden or Colton Herta. Uh, I think it's going to be Scott Dixon winning this weekend. Uh, it's a little bit of a chalk pick, but it, how many times are you going to talk about going eight races without a Scott Dixon win in the IndyCar series, which is pretty ridiculous. Dixon, he's back home. He, he you know, lives in Indy now. I, I think this one's a, a big weekend for Scott Dixon. Uh, mm-hmm. What will be a very, very emotional weekend at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Uh, as uh, yeah. we received word a little bit earlier today that one of the best to ever sit behind a microphone, Bob Jenkins passed away today after a, a very long battle with brain cancer. Um, the man was an absolute legend. His call of the 92 Indy 500 finish with Little Al and Scott Goodyear is still one of the greatest calls of all time. Uh, I grew up in the sport with Bob as the voice of the 500 on radio. He had, Paul Page had transitioned to the television side and he was working with Sam Posey and Uncle Bobby. Uh, and Bob Jenkins was the radio voice for the Speedway and part of one of the best all-time broadcast teams alongside Ned Jarrett and Benny Parsons doing the NASCAR races for a couple of decades on ESPN. Uh, there was not a sport that Bob Jenkins could not make sound exciting. 
absolute legend, uh, and our thoughts are with his family and friends on, on his untimely passing at the age of 73. Absolutely. Absolutely are. And, and with that, we're going to look forward and look ahead to what should be a pretty darn spectacular race weekend coming up here for the Big Machine Spiked Coolers Grand Prix at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Kicking things off Friday afternoon, 3 p.m. Eastern Time. Practice, the only practice session of the weekend, airing on Peacock and IndyCar Radio. Friday from 7 to 8 p.m. in the East. Qualifications for the Grand Prix on NBCSN, Peacock, and IndyCar Radio. Saturday morning warm-up at 8.45. Green flag time Saturday afternoon, 12.30 p.m. in the East. 85 laps around the two-and-a-half-mile 14-turn road course at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, a little over 207 miles in the distance. Going to be a spectacular one, but with that, boys, we should probably get out of here. Thank you, everybody, for listening. This has been another edition of Pizza at the Pagoda. We'll be back with you next Tuesday, recapping the GMR Grand Prix, looking ahead to the rest of the season, too. But until then... Wherever you are in this beautiful planet of ours, morning, noon, night, hope you're enjoying the show. We will talk to you all soon. See you later, everybody.